Well, thank you so much. Um, on behalf of my family, thank you so much for your warmth and your generosity. This is a humbling place to be. And um, it's humbling because our God is very good, and we are very thankful uh, that we just get to be here for this moment. So thank you um, from us to you. And thank you for the flowers. I asked Eric, I said, hey, are you giving Mandy flowers twice? Because you're going to make me look bad, man. And uh, yes. So here's the deal. 12 days. That's 288 hours, 17,000 minutes. And if you're counting, about 1 million seconds. That's how long most of us keep our New Year's resolutions. And if you have a calendar, that's today. Welcome to the day that your New Year's resolution drops dead. It's great. On the couch with queso and a bag of Tostitos. Just saying. I believe in you. You can do it. So here's the thing. In all seriousness, this is the start of a three-week series called uh, Resolutions. And here's the idea with all of that. Um, every year, we resolve to do things differently, whether that's an old habit that we want to kick to the curb. Um, it could be a new idea or a new discipline that you'd like to start or just something that you deeply value that you'd like to give more prominence in your life. I believe a lot of those resolutions are really opportunities to make much of Jesus. So put another way, a lot of what we aspire to be and a lot of what we aspire to do in the new year are ways to be closer to the gospel as Christ followers. It's my experience that at the seam of a new year, all those beginnings and aspirations, all those resolutions typically fall into one or more of three boxes. And so that's the idea behind this teaching series. We're going to take a look at our time, our talents, and our treasures. And if you came in kind of through this way, you notice these big light boxes out there with those words on top. I'll explain that before we wrap up today. But the idea is we want to take a look at how we use our time, our talents, and our treasures for God's glory. Does he have an expectation for our time? I believe he does. We'll get to that. So another little quick note of intro for this series. A lot of times uh, here at North Canton Chapel, we preach in a way that's called expository preaching. Not every week, but a lot of times. And all that means is we usually take like one verse or like a paragraph or a story and we kind of unfold it and we pull it apart and we examine it and we, we get God's meaning and we look for points of application along the way. And uh, this three-week series, we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to take a look at a couple pieces of scripture and together they will paint a really complete portrait for how God expects us to use our time, our talents, and our treasures. This isn't a permanent pivot. It's just one thing we want to do to make this very accessible uh, to all of us. Um, another thing that we're going to do, and you'll hear more about this before we wrap up today, is every week we want to commend a resource to you in the form of, of a small book um, that's very accessible, very affordable. And so every week, should God call you to step forward and examine this stuff more in your own life, we want to recommend a resource that just says, hey, this is going to help you get some asphalt down on the road and help you get a little further down. So all of that is just intro to the series. I want to let you know where we're going. And uh, I'm really excited for what this series can mean for us at the beginning of this new year and at this kind of seam in the life of our church. So this morning, we're looking at that first box, time. How does God expect us to use our time for his glory? And so this morning, we're taking our cue from three theological giants. We've got King Solomon, we've got Moses, and we've also got the Apostle Paul. 
And so even though they're spread out over 1,500 years of history, they're all three pushing us to consider the same thing. Namely, when we see time as a gift, we will use time for God's glory. When we see time as a gift, we will use time for God's glory. And so with that, I want to hop right into our first text today. We're going to take a look at Psalm 90. Psalm 90. And so if you've got a hard copy of God's Word, go ahead and flip there. You can get there on your phone, or if you want, uh, you can follow along on the screens behind me. Psalm 90, we're just taking a look at one verse buried in the middle of this psalm. And if we had all the time in the world... We'd get to all of it, but we're just going to narrow our focus just on this one verse. Psalm 90, verse 12. Psalm 90, verse 12. Here's what the text says. Teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days so that we might get a heart of wisdom. So if you go all the way to the top, you realize this is a psalm that's written by who? Who? Who's got it right there? What is it? I think it's in there. It's right up at the very top. It's written by Moses. Awesome. Now, Moses, we know a lot about Moses, right? He's a big figure in Israel's history, and we're going to see a lot how he plays into this text. This idea, teach us to number our days. Isn't that a great prayer? Moses prayed this prayer because there's a big difference between my perspective and God's perspective. Anybody ever like feel that? It's fairly obvious. I see things differently than God does. God sees things differently than I do. Up in verse 4, he talks about this. He says, a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday. And if we skip further all the way to the New Testament, the apostle Peter says it like this. He says, a thousand years are like a day to you, God. And a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. All that means is that God, in his wisdom, in his world-spinning, timeless creativity, sees time differently than we do. Raise your hand if you have a birthday. Right? Everybody in this room has a birthday. God doesn't. There was never a time when he wasn't. He's always been there. I won't ask you to raise your hand for this one, but we all have mood swings, right? We've all got tough days. We've got ups and downs. God's not like that. God is eternal, and he's unchanging, and he's constant. We see the future as this mystery, like, God, what are you going to do? For God, the future is just as certain as the past. So time management 101, we are not God, and we are limited. So that truth gives rise to Moses' words to say, teach us. And so the first part of his prayer, this is Moses just pleading with God, saying, God, teach me to live my life according to eternity. And not just him, but us. There's a corporate element to this because we're all slaves to the same 24-hour clock, right? Does anybody have an eight-hour work week? Or like an eight, sorry, that'd be nice. An eight-day work week. Anybody have that one? Give me the extra day. But we've all bound by the same time. Teach us to number our days. When Mandy and I first became parents, we got a ton of advice. Anybody ever had that experience as parents where you're like, I didn't realize I was like this open receptacle for your thoughts, but okay, here we go. And and some of that advice was really good, and some of it was like, eh, well, okay. And like the best piece of advice we got was when Joseph's like infant newness and novelty wore off, 
And Mandy just wanted to sleep for like 45 minutes more, right? And just like, give me a little bit of a break. And so one of our friends, I'm not sure if she waited to that time to deploy this little nugget, but here's what she said. She says, the thing with parenting, days are slow, years are fast. Isn't that true if you're a parent? It's so true, right? I'm like, the dude's got peach fuzz. He's like an inch shorter than me right now. It's like, what's going on? This happened so quickly. That's Moses's push. Sorry, Joseph. I shouldn't have done that to you, buddy. <laughs> That's Moses's push here. He just goes like, look, it happens so quick. So God, teach us to number our days. Why? Why? What's missing? Why should we number our days? Why should we be mindful? And that's the second part of his prayer. Teach us to number our days that, and there's his purpose, we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's huge. This is Moses acknowledging that there's something missing. There's something raw in our humanity that we cannot give ourselves. There's something that Stephen Covey and Ken Blanchard and all those guys that maybe you've read and the Amazon bestseller list for time management, there's still something missing. It's a heart of wisdom. Something that God wants to give me that I don't have. It's an interesting thing to start this conversation of time management, management by admitting that the biggest thing I need is not a how, but a who. Think on that. I just don't need, to, I don't need to know how to do this whole thing called life better. I need to have a restored relationship with my God so that I can learn to see the things that I don't see. It's a heart of wisdom that says, I don't see things I don't see because I am not who I need to be. And so Moses' prayer here is a prayer of transformation. He says, God, change me. Give me a heart that I don't have. I don't love the right things. And so God, press into me and change me. You realize how countercultural that approach to time management is? Because here's, here's, here's the way that time management usually goes, okay? First off, it's like, oh, I got to get a lot of stuff done. Got to get a lot of stuff done. And then, like, you sound like a little bit more spiritual if you go, God, help me get everything I need to get done, done. And you're like, oh, man, you mentioned the word God. Like, kudos. Look at you. Like, you're praying over your calendar. But it's still, like, a little off. Because self-centered time management says, God, help me get everything I need to do done. Gospel-centered time management says, God, what do you want me to do? Let me back up. God, show me who I need to be so that I can do the things that you've prepared me to do. And so if you buy into the idea that the fundamental problem we have isn't a how, but a who, here's where this leads. When I become aware that I am a limited person with limited perspective, limited resources, and very limited time, one of three things can happen, right? And this is how we do this in our world. First off, there are some of us who just go, you know what, I can't, <laughs> and we distance ourselves from responsibility. We say things like, somebody else figured out, or I'm not going to think about that right now, or uh, I just don't want to look at it, just okay, uh, just, mm. we distance ourselves. Some of us do the other extreme, where we go, okay, I'm really limited, and so that means I got to control everything. Hello, helicopter parents, right? This is why we do that stuff, because we want to control everything, we want to grab a hold of it truth is neither one of those extremes work, right? The truth is somewhere in the middle. And it's actually a profoundly different starting point. We don't say, God, I can't handle it, or God, I got to fix it. It's, I bring all of those concerns that life brings with it, because life 
brings concerns, right? I bring all of that to my father, and I say, God, I trust you with it. Show me how to walk in this space wisely. And we'll get to more of that in just a little bit. So what does that push us to? What do we do with that? How do we actually, what does that mean, right? I think this text calls us to do two things. So we're going to hit two points of application, and then we're going to get on to our, our second text. This is really big because it sets the foundation for where we're going to go for this, this other stuff that's coming, right? First off, Moses' prayer here calls us to worship. It calls us to worship. Gospel-centered time management starts with worship. Do you know why Mandy and I hate calendar meetings? I mean, we, we dread them. Right, we sit down and we try and sync our phones and like, oh, what are we doing the next week? And like trying to pencil in all this stuff. Do you know why we hate that? It's the same reason we hate budget meetings, right? And you're in the same boat. Because when you sit down and actually look at it, what you see is your deficiency. You see all the times that you've blown it. You see all the times where you didn't make the most of every opportunity or you squandered your time or you squandered your resources. And so it's a whole lot easier just to go, God, don't teach me to number my days. God, just get me through my days. <laughs> And that's okay for a little while, but it's not what God wants for you, and it's not what Moses is calling us to here. We don't learn to number our days so that we can have control over our life. We learn to number our days so that we can worship through our life. We are worshipers first, and so we need to tend to our heart. We aren't called to be perfect time managers. We are called to be grateful worshipers. And here's what this looks like in my life, just to let you know, like get you into my rhythm a little bit. So in the mornings, like I come downstairs, before I unlock my phone, um, before I get cranking on anything, in all honesty, not before I've had a cup of coffee, because there's a biological dependence on that stuff, <laughs> I'll sit down in my recliner in the corner of our living room, and I'll spend a few minutes reflecting and meditating on God's greatness. I'll just worship. I'll have a little time there where I go, okay, God, you are great, and here's how you're great. This does two things for me. When I hear myself say it, I actually believe it a little bit more, right? It's like running that, that groove in your heart. Like, God, you are faithful. God, you are good. Look at what you did yesterday. God, you're so wise to lead our family in that way or to, to let that happen or pave the way for that conversation. God, you're so good. The other thing it does is it puts the horse before the cart. <laughs> so yes, we've got a lot of stuff to do. I got a lot of stuff going on in my day and so do you. But before I start with this, I say, God, you're going to be the one that makes this happen. Otherwise, I'm going to start with my stuff and then beg God to back me up. So say this with me. God is great, so I don't have to be in control. <laughs> one more time. God is great, so I don't have to be in control. God's greatness is the best antidote for my control issues right? Either I can control every element of my life or I can have a great God. I cannot have both. And that definitely applies to calendar management, all right? So that's the first thing I think Moses calls us to is, is this idea of worship. But also, Moses is calling us to pace. He's calling us to worship and he's calling us to pace. Gospel-centered time management includes pace. Number our days, that phrase, that speaks to quality over quantity, Okay? Life is not about how much stuff I can sandwich between everything else I got to do, right? Like, we live this way. Like, maybe there's something wrong 
with like flying down Whipple at like 60 miles an hour with like one hand on the wheel and the other hand holding a burrito. That might be ungodly. <laughs> like not just unsafe, but like maybe God has designed us for a different pace than that and we should learn what that pace is. So yes, be industrious. Yes, be busy. Yes, work hard. But slow down, Turbo. It's going to be okay. This text teaches us that how we spend our days is ultimately how we spend our lives. And if we spend our lives like hamsters on a wheel, we will reach the end very well achieved, very well, um, like we're tired. We're going to have all kinds of stuff hanging on our wall. We're going to have a list of accomplishments, but we won't be ready for heaven because worship will be a foreign posture for us. And pace, ah, we have no idea what praise and pace looks like. And so learn this now. Practically, here's how you ought to pray. You ready? This is going to mess with you. God, show me what I need to quit. Show me what I need to not do. You realize not doing something is sometimes the most worshipful thing that you can do? Because you're releasing your desire to control it, and you're giving it back to the God who does it anyway. Show me what I need to quit. It's a gospel posture to refuse what I could do in order to rest in who I can be. I'll say that again because we need to hear that if we're going to consider time. It is a gospel posture to refuse what I could do in order to rest in who I can be. So stop doing everything. You're not God. That job's already taken. It takes a little bit of introspection to get there though, right? Like I've got to realize that I am not awesome at everything I try to do. And neither are you. It's really hard. Because here's, for me, just to let you in on my life, like, I love changing the oil in my truck. I love it. I love rotating my tires. I love building stuff in my shop. I love messing around, like tinkering. Like this is what I love to do. But if you want to spin this positively, I need to learn that I should do what only I can do. Only I can be husband to Mandy. God's only put that job to one person and it's me. Only I can be the dad and the father to Joseph and Karsten and Hannah. Only I can be a son to my parents, right? My brother was here earlier, so that does break down a little bit, but whatever, mom, you get the point. You see what I'm saying? Like, there are roles that God has given you in your life that only you can do. And there are responsibilities that you could just say, okay, I just can't do it. But you, know, you wanna know why we don't do that? Why we don't learn pace? Pride. It's true. Sure, I can do all this. I can dictate a text, respond to an email, bid on something on eBay, all while holding the wheel and the burrito. I got it. No, you don't. No, you don't. How much of the way we approach time is American versus how much of how we approach time is biblical? We need to think about that for a minute. Pace is not wasting time. It's honoring God. Interesting thing. Think about the guy who wrote this. Moses, right? Moses spent four decades wandering around in the wilderness, wasting time, doing nothing. No. God was doing something in his heart, preparing him to be who he needed to be. What should we draw from that? Sometimes the seasons that we perceive as a profound waste of time, not doing what I want to do, is God making me into who I need to be. God is forming you. So you can be someone, so you can see something that you can't see right now. The doing will come later. It does us good to think on that. So that's Moses. First verse, it's the foundation for what we're going to talk about. One quick thought before we move on. Sorry, 
kind of misled you there. <laughs> One quick thought. Moses was 40 when he left Egypt. He was 78 when he saw the burning bush. He was 80 when he led people. He was 90 when he prayed this prayer. Not very many people in this room are older than 90. Maybe a few of you. So if you think you're too old to learn gospel time management God's way, like take a cue from this guy. He prayed this prayer at 90. We got a lot of room to grow. All right, second thing. Second text I want to jump to today. Psalm 127. So slide on a couple of pages to the right to Psalm 127. We're just going to look at two verses. This is a great bit of Hebrew poetry that if we can blow the dust off, has probably the clearest, most helpful call toward using our time for God's glory that I can think of. Psalm 127, here we go. Verses 1 and 2. Here's what Solomon has to say. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Sound familiar? Just saying it. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to late or go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So these two images, and then there's an exhortation at the end. Here's what he's talking about. Um, Warning, nerd moment approaching, so join me here. Here's how this works. This is a great example of a kind of Hebrew poetry called parallelism. Okay? It's where the author or the writer, Solomon in this case, uses two images to basically say the same thing because he really wants to make sure that we get it. It's a little redundant, okay? but he makes his point. So the first image he talks about is this house. And he says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in what? Vain. Like, doesn't matter. So house, this could mean a couple of things. It could mean a literal family dwelling, like he's just talking about a house. It could mean like the legacy of like a healthy family tree, like you'd say the house of a certain last name. It could mean the house of God, like the literal temple, which is also possible because Solomon built the temple, right? And this psalm was used in corporate worship. And he says, unless the Lord is behind what you are about to build, don't bother, then he jumps over here and he says, okay, it's just like this. We're not going to talk about a house and builders. Instead, we're going to talk about a city and we're going to talk about watchmen. And he says, unless God is protecting you, right, the watchmen watch in vain. Now, this one's a very parental image. This is the mom who stays up at night making sure that her kids are fast asleep. This is the dad who locks the doors before the family goes to bed, right? It's a very careful, prayerful, tender image. And again, he says, unless God is protecting you, don't bother. See how these are saying the same thing? He says, like, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord protects you, you're wasting your time. Now, Solomon built a ton of stuff. We said he built the temple, literally, he built the temple. He built a palace in Jerusalem with, like, these great outdoor forests and, like, these big colonnades and, like, these phenomenal porches it was beautiful. And then after that, he actually designed Jerusalem's water infrastructure. Like he was an engineer and he was a builder. So he's not a slouch. And I'm like, yeah, I changed the lint on the dryer last week. So like that's my big accomplishment for the week, you know. This guy did a lot of stuff with his life. His life mattered. He did great things for the kingdom. And he says, stop. Unless the Lord's behind it, it's not worth doing. This is a phenomenal idea. You want to find a fulfilling way to manage your calendar? Figure out what God's will is, align your life to it, and enjoy your life. So 
kind of sounds simple. It's obviously harder than that. <laughs> now, this is not your out, okay? So for those of you that are, like, really literal about this, you're going to go, well, like, if unless I see spe- specific revelation from God on this specific issue, I'm not going to move. Like, Mandy, uh, I prayed about it, and you have to take the dog out because God didn't tell me to, so it's on you, right? That's not what he's saying here. He's actually calling us to think more deeply about that. And he's saying how we use our time can either be a platform for advancing my kingdom or it can be in a platform for advancing God's kingdom. See the difference? Either I build a house, and all you guys can build a house metaphorically. That's, some of you can do it literally. That's what he's talking about. All of you can do something. Everybody in this room can do amazing things. And he goes, before you do those amazing things, Make sure it's what God wants you to do. So practically, what does this look like? Begin any conversation with planning, with prayer. Pray first, plan second. Don't include prayer in your planning. Start with it and also include it and then also finish with it. Discerning what the will of the Lord is has to be before what I want to do. A gospel-centered approach doesn't ask God, how am I going to get it all done? But rather, God, what do you want me to do? Did you catch the difference? It's just who's at the center. Is it my will or God's will for my life? It doesn't start with an open calendar. It doesn't start with an app. It doesn't even start with a to-do list. It starts with prayer. This is especially true if you oversee a family. But here's what we do. Okay, here's what I do. There, I'll make it a little easier. Here's what I do. I do what I want to do, and then I ask God to bless it. I know what that laugh is. We all do that, right? I do what I want to do anyway, and then I ask God to bless it. Like my 11th hour contrition is going to impress God and arm wrestle him in to going, oh, yeah, Brandon, I never thought of that. Good job, (laughs) right? Like he's not impressed. God doesn't sound like that, by the way. (laughs) The lightning will hit up here first. Don't worry. But at the center of how we manage our time is this larger question that we've got to consider. Who has final authority of my life? Me or God? Who's at the center of this whole thing? Because he only promises sleep to his beloved who go like that. And he goes, you know, you get up early, you stay up late, and you eat the bread of anxious toil Do you ever feel like the word of God is reading you? (laughs) That. And he goes, no, 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 back up. Once the Lord builds the house, the builders build in vain. Pray first, plan second. So when we see time as a gift, we'll use it for his glory. So that's Solomon. We got Moses, we got Solomon. Now we're going to fast forward a thousand years up into the future, the New Testament. This is the Apostle Paul. Now, here's what I love when we talk about the Apostle Paul and time management, okay? The Apostle Paul spent half of his life tearing down the buildings that God's people were trying to build up, right? Like, this guy hated Christians. He drug them out into the street by their hair, and he killed them. Like, you want to talk about making much of Jesus every day to everyone? This guy's going, stop that. Don't do that. And then God gets a hold of him, knocks him to the ground, strikes him blind, and he says, I'm going to use you. 
right? And the guy converts to Christ, and the rest of his life is spent redeeming all those years that he lost. And I think you get a sense for how this shows up in this text. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, two quick verses right in the middle of Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 15 and 16. Ephesians 5, 16, or 15 and 16. Here's what Paul calls us to. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are what? Evil. Thank you. Hello, Johnny Raincloud. Thank you for this whole positive, like the days are evil. Like that's that's a little heavy handed, Paul. Come on, man. It is dark and we're going to get to why that is in just a second. But here's what I want you to see. There's one command followed by a couple qualifiers. He says, look carefully. He doesn't mean by that, be afraid. Okay, he doesn't mean tiptoe. He doesn't mean go through life with like racked in anxiety and fear and like uh, hesitation and like needless humility. Like, that's not what he's talking about. Look carefully. It's a military word and it literally means see to it. See to it. He's giving them a charge. And then he says, look carefully carefully. So see how you walk and then do it carefully. It means like to give something a once over, right? This is what would happen in a book manuscript when you give it to a professional editor and they go through this thing looking for commas and semicolons and dashes and like, I don't do that stuff. So if you do, God bless you. But like, that's the idea. The idea that this is what a mechanic does before he lowers the car down from the lift for the last time. Like, did I really tighten all those lug nuts? Okay. Be careful. Be thoughtful. Give consideration to how you use your time. There's a couple of things in there that he calls us to do. And he says, not as wise, or not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Those are these two things, again, they're saying kind of the same thing, and here it is. The wise steward of God's gift of time looks past the veneer and the incidental, accidental surface appearance and tries to discern the gospel opportunity underneath it. Example, we don't go to funerals to show up. We go to funerals to point to the hope of Jesus. You don't go to soccer games just because it's your job as a parent. You go there to encourage your children and to speak to their value, right? You don't build friendships and develop friendships because you're bored. You're doing that because there's people around you that need to know the hope of Jesus. Date night is not just good practice for you and your spouse or your fiance or your boyfriend or girlfriend. We do that so that we can show the love of Christ to people who need that. All these things that fill our calendars, they're not just incidental, accidental things. There's gospel underneath there that we have to understand. And the wise person makes the most of that opportunity by personally praying with somebody at the funeral, mentioning the name Jesus. The wise person takes date night and says, I'm going to be very intentional here with you. We're going to have a conversation, and I'm going to be attentive to you. The wise person takes a look at the soccer game, and they scream from their heels these encouraging things to the players because they realize that people are worth dignity, and we affirm that. You see how this works? These things that show up on our calendars, you can either look at them as like the clutter that gets in the way of life, or you can look at them as the opportunity to really live. Mandy and I tried this recently. Um, So it was earlier this year, we had parent-teacher conferences. Really quick, how many of you have attended parent-teacher conferences in the last year? 
Okay. So there's a difference in this room between parents who do that and teachers. Because when you ask teachers to raise their hand, they go like this. <gasps> right? And parents are like, heck yeah, I was there. Like, I'm an intentional parent. That's the way we went into this. We're going, this is Hannah's teacher, Worcester Elementary School. This is our last year at Worcester. Like, we're going in. Like, I want to know how she's doing. I want to know her grades. I want to know, is she staying away from all the drama? Like, how are her friends? And like, so we're going to go in, like, very intentional. I just gave every teacher in this room like a, dude, I hate you right now. <laughs> so we left early, and we took the long way around, and we ended up at this uh, gas station that's on the, the, the stoplight there, and there's a gas station on the corner of Easton and Middle Branch. And um, so I, I little thing that just happened, I said, well, let's go get ice cream. And like, I think, Mandy, at first, probably you thought I was crazy, but then like you kind of clicked it, oh, yeah, we're doing this. So we went in, and we got three pints of Haagen-Dazs ice cream right? We got strawberry, we got maple bourbon, and we got vanilla because you need choices. And we're going to bring this to Hannah's teacher, and we're just going to have fun together. Now, that may be misconstrued as a bribe. (laughs) And I'm not saying it wasn't completely. (laughs) But all we did, we look at this thing, and we go like, okay, we got to go, and we're going to go. But how we go is important. And so, like, we sat in the little chairs, they always give us like the little chairs like outside the room like I'm not 10 we're sitting there we got ice cream in the hand and then like she calls us in and we love Hannah's teacher she's awesome like I kind of want her to like follow Hannah through school I know it doesn't work that way but like so we get in there plop all three down we say hey pick which one you want you would have thought we wrote her a check for a million bucks she chose the vanilla which is fine I got the maple bourbon, which was great for me. I love that one. Tastes really good. Gimme. So we sit there, and we go through the thing in five minutes. We're talking about grades and yada, 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 and we go through that, and it's wonderful. But after five minutes and in between spoonfuls, this little kingdom moment happened. And we just said, look, you've had a hard day, and, like, you've met with a ton of parents, and probably a lot of them are a little angry because that's typically what we do as parents, and we just want to bless you. And then we start talking about family. She opens up about how her husband had been recently diagnosed with cancer and how they're dealing with that as a family. And I'm going, well, first off, you're a teacher, so you're working crazy anyway, and you're serving our community, and that's hard. But then you add all that family stuff on top of that. And so we all kind of, like, teared up a little bit together because, like, we love Hannah's teacher, and, like, we were thankful for her and the way she loves her students and loves the community. And then here's the best thing, guys. We got to pray together. Who prays at parent-teacher conferences? <laughs> now, here's the thing. We're not wise. Like, we're not super great at this stuff, okay? But sometimes wisdom isn't this, like, you know, bottomless fount of well-crafted language. Sometimes wisdom is ice cream. It's just making the most of every opportunity and saying, okay, God, King Jesus, this hour is yours. Do with us as you will. Think what would happen if 800 people who call the North Canton Chapel home went through life like that. Show me how to make much of Jesus every day to everyone where I live, work, and play. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. I want to hit on that last little bit because it's super important. Here's the deal. Doesn't take a whole lot of research, introspection, or intuition to know that, yeah, we live in a broken world, and it's evil, right? I want to sugarcoat that. Why do you make good use of your time? 
because the world needs you to push the hope of the gospel into your calendar so that your calendar is redeemed for the glory of God. Parent-teacher conferences, oil changes, dentist appointments, that's where church happens. It's not in here. We just get to celebrate in here. That's where the gospel goes forth. That's the mission of God. So five things for you to write down really quick. I told you we we're going to try and put some cookies on the bottom shelf. Here we go. If you want to honor God as a, looking at your time as a gift for his glory, here's five things that you need to do. And these are like, they sound stupid simple and they're stupid hard, okay? So first thing, you should have a calendar and you should reflect on it. You should have a calendar and you should reflect on it. You should have something in your life. I don't care if it's an app or something you, you know, tack up on the wall in your kitchen somewhere. You should have a calendar and you should reflect on it. So that means if you're married, you should sit and discuss it. If you're single, you still should have a calendar and you should reflect on how that's going. If you have kids at home or if you're retired, you should have some intentionality behind your calendar. It just says, this is me telling my time what to do. Okay? You should have a calendar and you should reflect on it. Second thing. That calendar should have limits. That calendar should have limits. Limits protect what I love most. And so here's how this goes in my life. God, Mandy, kids, and then the rest of you guys. I say that as your pastor today very intentionally because that's a covenant that I made with God a long time ago. And that's where you fall on the ladder, okay? That's just really clear. But I say no to stuff a lot. And the reason I say no is because I put limits on my calendar because I want to be doing this thing for the long haul. And my job's not that much more special than anybody else's. We all got busy work weeks, so your calendar needs limits. But third thing, you should have a calendar with limits, and those limits should reflect your priorities. Those limits should reflect your priorities. So if you buy the idea that God gave you time so you could steward it for his glory, what are you doing with it? What priorities show up on there? Or do you just like ping pong through your calendar with the next thing that comes across your desk? Here's what we do. Okay, just to give you again, like here's the Marshall family thing. We try to, and I'm looking at many at this point because I don't know that we always get it, but what we try to do, four out of seven nights we're at home. Now I have evening meetings like a lot of you guys do and stuff happens in my life. But the majority of my nights I want home. I want to encourage you to consider the same thing. Right? Another thing that I do is if there's a five days in the school week, three of those days or three of those mornings, I'm at home with my kids. So I don't do coffee meetings in those mornings. This is true for all of us. This isn't me just showing you my playbook. I'm just showing you what an example of my priorities and those limits look like for me. Rest, right? This is a good thing. And if you don't build it in there, it won't actually happen. All right, so you should have a calendar with limits that reflect your priorities. Fourth thing, that calendar should start with God it should start with God. Do not neglect Sunday morning worship, please. And that's not so that we can build a church and like grow something and like, yeah, I want to see that happen. But beyond that, God's designed you for this rhythm because it's good for you to come and worship your king and to be in this place. Keep prayer a priority. Don't give God the leftovers. Start with what he says is important. So last thing, you should have a calendar with limits that have priorities, it's to start with God. And then the last thing, you should always watch your margin. Watch your margin. Jesus rested. Think on that. The being who created the world 
rested. Who do I think I am that I don't think I need to? Watch your margin. Stuff happens in life. It comes and it collides. But then find a way to make it up. Right? This is a good thing over the long term because in the short term, we don't realize exhaustion. Long term, we do. When we see time as a gift, we use it for God's glory. So I don't know where you are with your resolutions. I hope they make it through this afternoon. You can do it. The queso is calling. Ignore it. No. Here's the deal. I, I am genuinely excited for where we're going to be as church in these next couple of weeks. Um, and uh, whether it's time, talents, or treasures, know that I, along with the rest of our pastors and staff, we are praying for you. Because I believe when we honor God with our first fruits, he always blesses. And so with that, let me, uh, let me close in prayer. Father, you've given us such limited resources, such a limited life, limited perspective, limited days and weeks and years. You've placed those limitations on us to teach us that we need you. And so right now, God, would you help us to number our days? God, would you show us what you are building so that we can join you in that effort and not build our own castles? God, would you help us to watch how we walk, making the most of every opportunity we can? God, it's our heart to serve you out of obedience and love for you. You gave us Jesus as a sacrificial atonement to redeem everything that we could have poisoned God, we want to live our lives making much of you. We love you, Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.